This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to episode 43 of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Jordan and tonight I'm joined by David and Brady. Uh, gentlemen, Tuesday, your Panthers defeated the Little Rock Trojans 89-70 to in the final home game, or final game period rather, of the 2019-2020 regular season and locked in a top four seed for the Sunbelt Conference Tournament. What are thoughts about the performance in this game? First off, special thanks, Arkansas State. Yes. That was an interesting last uh, couple minutes of that game versus Georgia Southern. Go check it out if you haven't already. That was the second part of it is all well and good. Georgia State just had to beat Little Rock to be a top four team in the Sun Belt, but they also needed help. And apparently they just needed me to say that it was more likely that South Alabama was going to lose than Georgia Southern. That's all the Arkansas State was a listener to the pod. Heard that motivation locker board material. Uh, because I didn't really expect that to happen, but that's what happened. And because Georgia State won and Georgia Southern lost, Georgia State's a top four seed. But more than anything with that, even with the likelihood that Georgia State was going to be the five seed just because both of the teams they needed to lose winning wouldn't have been that surprising. I think going in, I just wanted to see Georgia State play better. and. Definitely got that. Georgia State played their best game in a while, and they picked a good time for it. Yeah, you definitely could say that again. Um, they came out with a certain energy, and they came out looking much better than they did when they played Southern last week, which was definitely nice to see, even if that kind of holy grail of goals wasn't there. Um, you know, the first half was a little bit back and forth, it was still nice to see that, you know, Georgia State was able to kind of weather the Little Rock punch. And, you know, obviously, as we talked about last time, there wasn't much for Little Rock to play for. But, you know, they still sent their starters out there. It wasn't like they didn't send anybody, you know. But it was nice to see that Georgia State played a very complete game, you know, won the turnover battle, looked good from the floor, looked good from three. You know, Damon Wilson had a good game, 20 points. You know, Kane... Williams had a great game, 21 points, perfect at the line, 12 of 12 free throws, you know, seven assists as well. Justin Roberts had a good game. So it was really nice to see, you know, that first game for Georgia State in a, not a long time, but in a bit of a couple of weeks where they had a really nice complete game. Yeah, and I guess not to make too bold of uh, or like a too big picture of a thing, but Georgia State 10 turnovers only, 20 assists. Uh, and at times in the second half where the defense was a press full court, taking it over, it felt like, and I tweeted something to this effect out during the game. It felt like the type of team, the type of offense and defense synchronicity that coach Lanier in his press conference, when he came to Georgia state said he wanted to bring in, it felt like the closest we've seen probably all year at times to the, the team that he wants to have here. And so that was an encouraging thing to see. Yeah, no, it absolutely was. Um, and I think another thing that definitely helped Georgia State was, yes, they did have a lot. You know, they struggled with fouls again, but Little Rock didn't shoot that great from the free throw line. They were 28 of 46. Um, 46 is a lot of free throws to give up. But, 
you know, if a team is going to shoot in the 60% range, that's, I think you can live with that. And now not every team is going to do that. So yes, the fouls are still a problem, but as you said, if they're going to be sitting in that press and it's going to be working to the effect that it was as effective on Tuesday, then you're going to see wins like this in the future. Uh, We shouldn't go too much further without mentioning the elephant in the room that they're probably future first team Sunbelt guard best player on their team, Marquise Knoll. He played seven minutes and then it looked like he might've done something with a hammy or something. He never got back in the game. And so I, I doesn't necessarily voted for the future. Like, Oh, he's hurt at little rocks in trouble because there's just no reason for him to play through anything since they didn't have anything to gain. But Georgia State wins by 19, sure. The headline is not Georgia State is 19 points better than Little Rock, put it in Sharpie, you know. (laughs) Georgia State didn't see the best Little Rock team that they're possibly going to face if they go to New Orleans in the semifinal. But it was still, like, independent of the actual result. You needed a win, and that's, that's good. But like I said at the start, what was most important was just seeing a better performance, and that's what you got. The the shakiest time was the start of the second half where, I mean, I was there. The fouls were piling up for both teams, and I think it was something like 35 by around the first media timeout of the second half combined, and the pace just totally went away from the game for like the last four minutes of the first half and the first five, six minutes of the second half, and it was just kind of no momentum either way, just because fouls were happening like every possession, every other possession. And Little Rock was kind of taking it to their advantage, and they made seven of their first 10 shots because they were literally just getting the ball into the post and either drawing fouls or getting a layup. And right at that point where Little Rock took their first lead in a long time, 58-56, Georgia State storms on a 20-1 to run, spearheaded by newly minted starter Nelson Phillips doing his thing in the press defense. It was two, two possessions in a row. There were steals and Nelson got a dunk and a layup and the crowd, which was less in number than the Southern sellout really got loud at that point. And it was, uh, it was the point where other times this year, Georgia State has let teams come back into games when the lead's been around double digits, and then they kind of have to make free throws at the end, and it's still a little bit nervy. And this game, part of it was Little Rock didn't have their best player. Part of it was they played really good. But the bottom line is they got a comfy win in the end, and that also is good to see because that hasn't always been the case, even in other games where they've played well. Yeah, I really like your mention of Nelson right there um, because I think we should kind of point that out. I really like Coach Lanier's decision to bring Corey Allen off the bench and start Nelson Phillips. I think the high energy and the kind of going at 125% that Nelson brings to the court sometimes with his athleticism, I think that can really translate to a starter role. And the thing about it is if he's going to be playing starter minutes, you, you know, you see him dominate those stretches like he did on Tuesday, you know, and you're exactly right. He kind of spearheaded that, that run that Georgia state went on that really helped put little rock away. And I mean, yes, we can sit there and talk about the, the lack of, 
Marquise Noel and, you know, obviously for Little Rock, if this game was a game that they needed, you know, they would have wanted him to play more. But it still was nice that you saw Georgia State play a really good, complete game, Um, even kind of going through some ups and downs that they've gone through lately. But to actually come out of the quote unquote down part is really encouraging to see as they, you know, go into the conference tournament. And I should mention, I asked Coach Lanier about the starting lineups, which also shout out Chris Clerkley getting a start on his senior night. Won the opening tip, set a screen on the first play. Uh, But back to what I was going to say. Nelson came in for Corey, and he was clear to say that it wasn't anything where Corey got benched or anything. It was more that Nelson had earned a start in practice and, and in doing what he does game in and game out and that it wasn't any kind of like Corey needed to be benched thing. It wasn't any like lesson, you know, whatever. And I think there's, you know, there's only so many games left, so it's not like a, a huge sweeping change that'll affect, you know, capital S the rest of the season. But I think we're probably going to see Nelson start the rest of the way. And I think no matter whether it happened this year or not, it with Damon leaving the starting lineup, I definitely think that that spot had Nelson's name on it, no matter what this year. So I think we're just getting a sneak peek of him playing a starter role next year. And I think that Corey can still be effective at what he does off the bench. He can still be a guy that just gets hot. And it seemed like there were some plays, a cup, maybe both of his three threes in the game against little rock, at least one of them, he was kind of just, running sets on offense and he was the guy who rolled up to the top of the arc totally uncovered and sometimes he's the guy creating a shot but if he's just the guy who's running the set play and getting wide open for three I mean he's gonna make that shot a lot of the time and it's it's so it's nice that you point that out because I think a few years ago when coach Hunter did this with Jeff Thomas I personally um was a little bit wary about it because, you know, I think there's in kind of the same vein as what Nelson Phillips provides now, you know, Jeff Thomas was that guy that could, you know, give you that high energy. Um, He could do that for 40 minutes, but I think you're right with how coach wants to use Corey Allen because while he's been struggling, his shot creation has kind of taken a step back, but he can still, you know, on the catch and shoot threes, he can still make those, you know? So it's nice to see that if, that's the part of his game that is working that it, that's the best part of his game and it's being utilized while he's off the bench you know i'm not going to say that i don't want cory to have the ball in his hands because that's you know that's not true or fair but i think while he kind of goes through this time and kind of transitions into this new role if he can still be the guy that georgia state needs him to be on the perimeter especially for those wide open catch and shoot threes that is an incredibly serviceable basketball player whether he's starting or coming off the bench and i guess the last game specific thing i'd want to mention because we kind of touched on just about everyone else uh this is the best offensive game especially in the second half that jalen thomas has played in a while I thought he really got in a groove and he kept rolling to the rim and the guards kept finding him and he kept making his shots. And that's a good thing to see. I think that it, like we've talked about a couple of times in the last couple of weeks, it's just kind of a, you get what you get night in and night out situation offensively from the Georgia state bigs right now. But he put on a performance that stands up against anyone in the conference as a, you know, front court player uh, in Tuesday's game against little rock. 
Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, you know, I don't want to sit there and say that he needs to impress with the boards. He only had one rebound, which fine, whatever. But if he's capable of bringing anything on offense, you definitely take that because Georgia state kind of employs a team rebound mentality anyways. You know, I mean, Kane had five, Damon had six, you know, and it's not like they didn't have enough rebounds. So obviously if, you know, coach Lanier talks about wanting to look guys in the eyes and having a bigger team, you know, 29 rebounds isn't the most amount of rebounds, but you don't need to rebound shots that you're making. Yeah, exactly. When, when you make 50% from the floor, 50 from three, then you're not going to have as many rebounds to go around. I will right. say that that's the thing. Noel's presence is going to be, a factor in any future game against them. And it's pretty much a different team with him not on the court, but their bigs were definitely having their say. And that led to the 46 free throws, which every time I say it, it's kind of like, God, 46 free throws in one game. Jeez. That sounds like a lot, but I think that's going to be a factor. Even if Noel is also very involved in their offense in any future game against them. And so came out even 29, 29 this time, but little rock had 11 offensive rebounds and they've got the guys that are going to go up there and do it. Kamani Johnson had seven himself, which is a crazy individual number of offensive rebounds, but it's something that it's, it it's come up multiple times, especially as the season's gone on that Georgia States has trouble giving up offensive rebounds and, if they've got a guy like Noel, they can pop it out to, to hit some open threes off of offensive rebounds. Then it's really going to have to be an area of emphasis to clean up, even in the 19 point win on Tuesday. Definitely. You know, there's definitely still room for improvement, but they have what a week to work on anything. A little bit over, a little bit over as of recording a little bit under a week. Exactly. So that's right. We have uh, roughly a little under a week as of recording this podcast before the first time the Panthers will play in the 2020 Sunbelt men's basketball tournament, which uh, for the Panthers will be game five of the tournament at 7 p.m. Eastern in the GSU Sports Arena. The Panthers are the four seed, as we said earlier. Uh, they're on the side of the bracket with Little Rock as the one seed, Georgia Southern as the five seed, Arkansas State as the nine seed, and Louisiana as the eight seed. So either of those last three teams could be coming to the sports arena. We won't know pretty much until the results of the game three, where Georgia Southern is going to host the winner of Arkansas State and Louisiana. So we'll find out who the Panthers will be playing next week. But uh, a little bit different setup of the tournament this year. The uh, campus sites are going to be hosting the first round, second round, and quarterfinals, and then the tournament will move into the Smoothie King Center. No more late front arena. Rest in peace. Uh, semifinals on Saturday, March 14th, will be number one seed Little Rock playing the winner of whoever Georgia State will play, and then later that day, number two South Alabama will play uh, whoever makes their way up that side of the bracket. Uh, last year, the tournament will be in New Orleans as the Sunbelt Conference announced earlier this week that the tournament will be moving to Pensacola, Florida for the 2021 through 2025 tournaments. Gentlemen, what are our thoughts about this? I like it. Um, I mean, you know, kind of being honest, as somebody who has been to multiple Sunbelt tournaments, um, I think that they 
are looking for a way to kind of liven it up, you know, when you have a conference such as the Sun Belt, who's kind of in the middle to bottom tier of mid-major conferences, you're looking for any any way to spruce things up. And I think this is a really good idea because one, Lakefront Arena was not a great arena, and two, it just doesn't make sense to have these games with seeds and teams um, that are perceived as not being good, you know, away from the campuses. Just put them straight on the college campuses, you know, invigorate that fan base, get that student section, get that, you know, season ticket holder section, you know, make it an event, make it really bumping. And, you know, it, it provides better crowd shots. It provides better energy. And, I mean, look, it sucks for Arkansas State and Louisiana and Coastal and UT Arlington. But at the same time, though, if you take care of business when it when you have the opportunity, you know, you're getting to play on Wednesday, you know, like a Georgia State or Texas State, or you're getting to go straight to New Orleans like Little Rock and South Alabama is, you know. So, I, you know, there are consequences for not just winning the games that you have in front of you. Yeah, I agree on the it's good that the earlier rounds are home sites, although it's switching back. This is the last year of wonky format. It seems like at least for the 2021 tournament, it's going to be back to all 12 teams make the tournament and all the games are in Pensacola. But Pensacola also slightly better travelable destination for the teams in the Sun Belt, with the exception of maybe the Texas schools. But as far as how the the tournament shaked out, I still think that Marquise Knoll is very good. And like we just spent a lot of time talking about, him not playing most of that game means that that game doesn't mean a lot. But I already kind of had this thought in the back of my mind that Georgia State was a pretty good matchup with Little Rock. Definitely a better matchup with Little Rock than even a South Alabama team who's you beat twice but is rolling right now. So... As far as I'm concerned, being on Little Rock side and not having to face either Texas State or South Alabama, who are the two hottest teams in the Sun Belt right now, I think that that's the plus. I think that it sets up nicely that Georgia State has to win just once to get to New Orleans. It was going to be a lot bigger ask if Georgia State was the five seed and having to travel to, first of all, having to win that round. And then after winning as the five seed, going to either Georgia Southern or South Alabama to then go to New Orleans, that was going to be a tougher ask. So it really can't be overstated how important getting the top four finish was for Georgia State. Yeah, absolutely. And while Southern came in last Friday and, you know, had a great game plan and executed phenomenally, I think you can definitely ask the question, is this a team that can do this twice in one year in Atlanta? And I mean, we might not know, you know, Georgia Southern still has to play the winner of Arkansas State and Louisiana, but that's, you know, the task ahead of them if they were to win next month. Yeah, it's definitely a thing where Georgia State is basically just getting a web redemption, you know? Georgia State is going to get <laughs> potentially get another chance to beat Southern on their home court, which they couldn't do a couple weeks ago. And it's not definitely that game, but I would definitely say if if that is the matchup that happens, you see this all the time where the team loses late in the regular season to a team, gets the chance again, and the team who loses 
more often than not, it feels like is the team that gets revenge. So I would definitely be more comfortable as Georgia state going into that game for the home field, home court advantage for the, the reason of it being a revenge game. And it just feels like we'll see how this plays out, but if the rest of the way goes the way Georgia state hopes and there's a tournament berth and there's March madness to enjoy, that loss is going to be a real turning point. It's going to be a point at which starting with the little rock game, the team turned it on and started performing and kind of used that disappointment from that game as a springboard. So I almost wonder if it's one of those blessings in disguises at the end of the day. Yeah, I think it kind of is because keep in mind, if you as Georgia state had ended up locking up one of the top two seeds, you would have had 10, what 10 or 11 days off between your final regular season game and your first game of the tournament. That's a lot of time to not be playing basketball right at the height of the season. So I think a week is a week is still like a bit more than you'd be used to, but I'd rather have that than 10 days. I'd tell you that for sure. There's the both sides of it. I, I definitely think there's an advantage to the fact that by the time Georgia state and whoever are tipping off on Wednesday, little rock potentially will already just be posted in new Orleans. And so in that regard, getting some rest late in the year and not being basically just an extended conference road trip because Georgia state wins on, well, I guess whoever, whichever team wins would probably be leaving pretty much straight from Atlanta on Wednesday, rolling in for Saturday. And so I would definitely say that it it's too far for me to say it's a bad thing to be a top two seed, but I definitely think there is something to being the three and the four seed who get a game going provided they win and having a game under their feet, before playing on Saturday. And so I would agree with you that I don't necessarily mind being in that three, four spot because I I get what the Sunbelt chooses to do when they're trying to protect the top seeds because they don't want to have a situation like happens every year in other conference tournaments where you have the random eight seed or the random four seed get a shot at them get a win around earlier than needed, or I guess just the eight seed because they already play in the four seed, but they're trying to protect the top seeds because it's better for the conference. If the top teams get the bids, than if they have some random Cinderella, because then that's not going to be the best shot the conference has at a win in the tournament. But I also think there's something to the fact that the good teams rise to the top anyway, in a situation where they play from the start of the tournament and that's another thing is that next year the buys seem to be going away. I wonder if the new commissioner came in and was like, see, I don't think I like this. Yeah, no, I, if I recall correctly, the day or like, like a week or two after he was announced as the commissioner, he said, yeah, we're doing away with that new basketball format. So he, he definitely got rid of the pods like, like that. <laughs> yeah. Oh God. The, the, rip the pod system. <laughs> oh, yeah, funnily, I, funnily enough, a lot of the teams that ended up being at the top of the league ended up playing each other into the year anyway, which might even be an argument why the pod system is pointless anyway. Cause sports has a way of working things out like that sometimes. Yeah. Now marinating on it so much long after it was killed. I definitely understand why the pod thing was so unpopular. It just didn't make sense. And it like, I get why you would want to boost your, 
uh, net rating or whatever metric we're using this year. Um, but that seemed kind of arbitrary and just so weird to do in the middle of a conference schedule, you know, like you, you shouldn't just be sectioned off to play specific members of your conference. That doesn't even make sense. In fairness to the, uh, the advocates for the pod system, uh, the Sunbelt as some of the other, mid-major and lower mid-major conferences are tends to cannibalize itself a lot as we uh saw losing twice in this season to troy who's not even making the conference tournament so if you play those if you play those teams a little less and you play the teams that are quote-unquote better more than okay maybe that makes sense but nobody wants to be playing at the end of the season the same team back to back to back to back i i don't know maybe Maybe it would have been a good thing to have State versus Southern version four before the tournament even started. But I, no, not a fan. I think this is one of those things where you're like, this is innovative. And then you have the thought, well, if this is good innovation, why are we the only one doing it? (laughs) It just it just reeks of corporate nonsense. But maybe that's just me. Yeah, we're, we're Thursday night railing against the corporate nonsense edition. I back to the original thing. I the one seed, the top seeds will be playing from the start of the tournament, forgiving the play in round from next year on. And so I think that for this year, Georgia State's playing the system to the best. I'd say getting in that three four range is nice. And next year, everything's going to go back to normal. Normal, quote unquote. That's not really a word that exists in the lexicon of Sunbelt sports, but I digress. Yeah, and I'd also, you, to your point, Georgia State did find their way to lose to a lot of teams below them in the conference before the pod would have split up into the top teams. So it wouldn't have changed that. I mean, you still got to play other those teams, and you still got to win those games, even in this hypothetical pod situation. So it's the end of the season, and... Moving forward into the tournament time, I know there's going to be a lot of discussion about all conference teams should be coming out probably this uh, next weekend after this podcast releases. Uh, what do you guys think about who might be ending up on those teams this year? Well, um, I think at least for the first team, um, it's probably not going to be that much to debate. Um, so I'll just rattle off my five. Um for me, it's Nigel Pearson, Marquise Noel, Josh Ajayi, Devontae Jones, and Jalen Johnson. So I think these guys, I don't like to use the word best here, but they had the best season out of anybody in the Sun Belt. And I think they definitely should get this specific accolade um, to showcase that they were above all else um, in the conference. Yeah, it's tricky just because three of the four top scorers in the Sunbelt are all point guards. And so if we're doing like the traditional, like position by position for the first team, someone probably gets left out invariably, but I'm just going to put all of them. Cause I think that they're all deserving of that. Mine would be Pearson, Justin Forrest from app state, Marquise, Noel, Devonte Jones. And then I'd also go with a Jai. Well, one, of, one of the uh, leaders of that South of Alabama team seniors eighth in the conference in scoring and then fourth in rebounds, but not all stats. He's also top of the conference in field goal percentage. So I guess jumping off of that, 
I think we're probably in agreement here. Player of the year should be Nigel Pearson of Texas State. Yeah, I don't know that it's particularly close either. Um, it was it was Noel for a while. It uh, was. He had. I think he missed a couple of games because of injury, and just his season tailed off. Well, Nigel definitely hit his stride, and then he ended the year nineteen point three a game. I'm pulling up the rest of it, <laughs> <laughs> and he he and everyone who starts for that team have to just kind of be like eating nails for breakfast on defense, uh, playing Danny Casper's scheme. So it's not just a stats thing, uh, senior too. So that's also part of it, but I definitely think he will get it and have no problem in them awarding Nigel for player of the year. Cause I think he's had a great season. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Um, I, I mean, you know, say what you want about Noel. You're right. He did tail off a little bit. He had a great season. I don't want to say that he didn't. 17 points per game, three rebounds, and about five assists per game. That's a phenomenal season. But, yeah, it's probably Pearson. Oh, and there's nothing wrong with that. There, the outside chance that they give it to Noel because Little Rock won the league. Sometimes that happens. But it's definitely not as much of a slam dunk as Coach of the Year. Coach of the Year <laughs> is the, the biggest slam dunk of the Sunbelt Awards. Bar none. Daryl Walker is going to win coach of the year. No rocks coach. Yeah, no, they were picked last and they won the league. So it's, I mean, I don't even know how you could even question. He probably will be win it unanimously because there's, I don't know who I else would you imagine. could vote for. Yeah. You know? I mean, Georgia state had a good year. And so you can make the argument that coach Lanier did a good job of coaching the team. And while they technically underperformed their number one rating. South Alabama still had a good conference year and soared back. So it's not like he's the only person who did a good coaching job, but it's there's some debate between, you know, player of the year, this guy, first team, second team. They're just the coaching job of getting them where they were last year to this year. There just isn't a, a question as far as that goes. Right. Exactly. And then I guess the other one that seems like it'll be just one person, it seems like freshman of the year is probably going to go to Malik Wilson of Louisiana. He's popping up around a lot of the stats, including being second in the conference in steals, which definitely an impressive thing as a freshman. The Cajuns didn't have the season they were hoping to. They had some injury trouble, I know. Um, but he's definitely a building block for them as a freshman doing what he did. And then moving to the Georgia State wing, I guess first off I would say Newcomer of the Year is also an award. I think it it feels like Georgia State has a pretty good chance with both Corey Allen and Justin Roberts that one of them is going to win that award. It's not a lock by any means, but who would you award it to of the two? I'd probably give it to Corey. Um, I think, yes, as we've talked about here, he did tail off as the, this kind of went on but i still think that you know it's i mean you know he hasn't played a full season a couple of years and it's, it's not like he had a bad season you know he shot almost 35 percent from three 41 from the floor 13.7 a game you know like it was still a good season if you are gonna give it to justin it's because you're gonna really like how his defense was at handling other guards um, and he averaged almost two steals a game. So, but I would personally give it to Corey. I, I would just vote, not even just taking Corey out of it. I've, I've thought that Justin has just been steadily improving as the year gone on. He's over 40% from three. Um, and like you say, ball handling and on defense is 
probably the best on ball option Georgia State has. But that's not to say, you know, it's easy to forget now that we're in March how many games there were in the early part of the year where the offense was kind of getting carried to a large degree by Corey and that he was doing a lot of the work early on that maybe now it's easy to be like, yeah, he hasn't scored 20 in, you know, X number of games and he's had games where he hasn't shot the ball well, but he still did a lot for this offense and still going to be interested to see how the, the new potential role goes for him the rest of this year. And he still can do exactly what he needs to do offensively. And he's also, you know, if you don't play defense, Coach Lanier isn't really going to let you stay on the court. So it's not like he's a slouch there. He just doesn't have the uh, raw numbers that like what Justin might have. Right, exactly. And now that we've said all that, watch it not be one of the two Georgia State guys. <laughs> it just, it feels like, I don't know who else is a newcomer that isn't a freshman. And I don't know. Like I've, I've watched the league and I think a lot of the guys that we've talked about it, have been here for at least a year, if not a few, and are kind of stalwarts. And so I'm just racking my brain for who even else on other teams is like a transfer. Like last year, Daquan Smith came in for ULM and just like lit up the league. Uh, he was, I think it was a transfer from Wichita to ULM. And he came in as the grad transfer and won it. But I don't know of any grad transfers this year that have really been that way or any junior college guys. And so that's why I feel pretty confident it'll be that way. And I don't know, but the last one is just defensive player of the year. And I don't know. They usually give it to like a, a big who gets blocks and stuff. So I'd probably go with Munyat with uh, little rock for that one, just because he leads the league in blocks by about a half a block a game. Yeah. And he's also got like 9.8 boards. Yeah. Game. And I mean, I, I know that rebounds are kind of a terrible way of highlighting defense but that kind of matters that's something that people like to i'll just say that there are a few guys on georgia state's roster right now we can this is an off-season thing probably or this is a thing to definitely get on tape to tell me how wrong i am I, there's a few guys i think georgia state have that are featured depoy types oh definitely i could see nelson just going crazy as a starter and just racking up huge steal numbers and being that guy. I could see a guy like Justin Roberts being kind of like, like how like Alfred for Louisiana was just a great defensive guy. And I could see Jalen Thomas being, you know, if it is about getting blocks and, you know, just the raw numbers, he's already got a block 1.3 game as a freshman and he's not even playing that many minutes. So as his numbers grow as a guy, I could definitely see him being in that conversation and being that effective force that I think coach really thinks and hopes he can get to be as he grows. So it wouldn't be an episode of the Thursday night podcast without some listener questions. And this week, Mike from Marietta hit us with another one. He wants to know of the three options, Louisiana, Arkansas state and Georgia Southern, who do you want to face next Wednesday night? And Mike here is talking about the campus site quarterfinal for the Sunbelt tournament. What do you think guys? Well, I'd say the team Georgia state didn't lose to, but Georgia state actually lost to all three. <laughs> <laughs> well i i obviously the likelihood it is is it's georgia southern and that the answer is either supposed to be like yeah make it the rival you know ratchet up the fun there or it's like 
the worst team, you know, whatever. But I think that just because there's no animosity and because I think that the loss to them was a little bit fluky ish. If I had to pick, I would pick Arkansas state. So I, I get that. I get your thinking there and I agree. I guess I, I also want to talk myself out of picking Arkansas state because if, if let's say it is Arkansas state, then their last three games, they went into Hanner and won. They, uh, had to go into Louisiana and win a basketball game. And then they had to go back to Hanner and win again. And then, you know, that's three straight wins after dropping, what, eight straight? You know, like, yes, they are pretty objectively the worst team of the three. But I don't know, man. There's We've seen it before. Something about a hot team in March, you know, that just can get going and go on a roll. And, you know, even if Georgia State has this nice big home court advantage and all that, Sometimes that just doesn't matter, you know, and that's that kind of cautions me from wanting to pick the Red Wolves. But I tend to agree with you there. It's the emotionally (laughs) safe pick for the fans, I think, because nobody wants to lose to Georgia Southern twice on your home court in one season. Nobody ever wants to lose to Louisiana, period, point blank. But I said, I don't I don't think I'd want to play Arkansas State. It's just that doesn't seem that doesn't scream exciting tournament basketball to me. All of the really fun, exciting memories that I've had personally of the uh, well, and there's other emotions, too, but we don't talk about 2014. Uh, they're, they're all involving Louisiana and Georgia Southern. Like, that's who I would want to play for getting in the mood of, hey, this is March. Anything is possible. John Rothstein, et cetera, whatever. If you don't see his stuff on Twitter, it's pretty funny. But uh I think I'd probably want to face Georgia Southern just for the fact that it's the rivalry and and there's this little thing called the uh, annual rivalry competition that we are currently tied in. And if you, uh, I think, I don't know if it's the last game of the tournament or the championship that just kicks this in, but I think there's a clause in there that if you knock the uh, other school out of the conference tournament, you get double points for that win. So that would be a very uh, opportune time to get that. I think the uh, the women have a chance to tack on another point if they defeat the Eagles on Saturday. But uh, I think I'd rather have Southern. Not saying that it's the uh, most optimal for statistics of likelihood to win or anything, but that would be the most exciting, I think. Yeah, I definitely understand the, the counter that, I mean, I'm getting 2017 Troy hot flashes right now. Um they Troy played a couple of games that year and got hot and just shot the doors off Georgia state and knocked them out when they weren't as good of a team on paper. So I see that side of it. And there is definitely a degree to which I'm just kind of like bury the home loss to Southern get a chance to redeem it. But I mean, as far as just what the tournament is, I mean, you don't get style points. And it's funny that you mentioned the Southern being exciting games because you obviously weren't watching the the uh, final, the thirty eight thirty six final against Southern. Oh no, I was there. The, I'm just <laughs> saying, if you if you're talking about exciting, the game that set basketball back a hundred years was not exciting. The result of the game was exciting. The actual game was unspeakably horrible to watch. But, but there is yeah. there a risky nature to the team who's won two straight and you haven't played a game in the tournament, there is a risk part of that because teams can just get hot, but there's also the part where they might have tired legs. And it's also just, it feels like the likeliest w- without, and you know, taking out the rivalry aspect, which I feel like 
it heightens it, but sometimes that's not always a good thing. So yeah. I want boring, unexciting two wins get to the final, you know, like I don't I don't need the excitement. I'm a results guy, you know. Just win however or against whoever. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, the sexy thing or not. Just get that tourney bid. Yeah, three straight would be nice. All right. So uh, thanks, Mike, for your questions as always. Uh, we will be back with more podcasts and more stuff on the website when we find out who we're actually going to be playing. But uh, until then, keep it locked to ThursdayNight.com and our Twitter and Facebook feeds will be putting out as much as we know when we know it. And thank you as always for tuning in and being a part of this. It's always fun to communicate with you guys and talk about Georgia State sports. That being said, that's going to end it for this week, and we will catch you next time. See ya. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.